Colossians 4, 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Hey guys, it's uh, really good. I'm just going to bring you into a conversation here on our podcast for uh, uh, Mike in Hong Kong. And we've just been having this great conversation. I've been hearing some some stories of how Mike's... Uh, um, talking in the context of reaching post-Christian environments and Westerners and uh, and uh, uh, we've just been swapping a few stories and I thought hey let me record this because I think this will be a blessing whenever I listen to Mike it's a blessing and uh, I want to just bring you in on this conversation Mike uh, just rewind on our conversation you're just in Germany yeah. and you, you, you're talking about some conversations that you had and give us give us that background a bit and then then we'll keep going because I know what you've got to say is good. Okay, cool. And this, this is fun. Well, um, yeah, you know, so, you know, I grew up in America, which is rapidly becoming, in many places already is a post-Christian environment, depending where you are. Probably in the more urban areas, you could call it a post-Christian environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and definitely with the younger, more educated generation. And then I just came back from a trip from to Germany because my mother lives in Germany. I'm, I'm, that's my background. And uh, my father was from America. My mother's from Germany. And while we were there, it was kind of our goal to see what God could do by ways of DMM. We were there a month, staying with my mom at our house. And so we started a little DBS in the house with mom. And the mom is kind of a typical, you know, Lutheran slash Catholic German. And uh, most Germans... You know, they, they'll, they're, uh, when they're born, they become part of the state, whatever region they're in, they become a Catholic or a German just by, mm-hmm. by proxy. They're just, you know, they get baptized in the church. And then when they're around 12, 13, 14 years old, they go through confirmation. And everyone wants to go through confirmation because when you're done, you have a big party and they give you money. So <laughs> that's, that's what I like. It's not for religious reasons, but after that, I'd say 99% of them almost never flirt in the church again. Mm. Maybe once or twice for Easter or Christmas. but And then many of them, uh, now they'll stay in the church, and they're, they they get tax money taken out, uh, government, state-run church, so they actually get some tithe that the government takes the money out. But if they don't want to do that, they'll they'll do something called raustreten. They'll step out of the church, which is a lot of them will do that. Basically, say I don't care about God. I don't. I don't care if I have a, a church funeral or whatever. So, I started to pray with my mom and uh, my wife's. My mother-in-law, my wife's mom, was also there. It was a big family trip, and we were start, we were going doing DBSs to the Book of Mark. And right away, my mother started picking up on it. Hey, it's an important thing to share your faith with people. So I'd say, okay, mom, how can we apply this? How can we obey this this week? My mother's in her eighties, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but she's still very sociable and has a lot of friends in her village there. And, uh, and the, the objection would come up. Well, that, that doesn't work here in Germany, Mike. If you, if you share your faith with people, they automatically think you're a cult. Mm. Germans are very terrified of cults. Mm. <laughs> you're, you know, what are you, a, a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon or something? Are you, mm. uh, some kind of crazy American cult? So I said, well, Mom, we can at least pray for them, can't we? And she goes, oh, okay. So we start praying for them and praying for her friends. And I said, now you watch. Now that we're praying for them, 
God is going to unveil a person of peace, and somebody's going to invite us over for dinner or to eat. Somebody's going to feed us. They're going to invite us in their house to eat. She goes, really? I said, yeah, that's the way it works. So we started praying for them, and it wasn't long uh, before one of my mom's friends invited our family. My my youngest daughter, three, was turning three, and we couldn't find a proper venue to host a party. My mother's place is a little too small and a little bit intense for an 80-year-old lady to host a party for three-year-olds in her house. So uh, a good friend of hers who was a uh, childhood friend, he, he invited us over mm. and volunteered to cook. And, and I mean, I felt kind of embarrassed. He wanted to cook all the food, he, you know, he, and, he, and he cooked an amazing meal. And I said, you watch, Mom. I think this is our person of peace. She goes, Peter? Peter's an atheist. He can't be a person of peace. I said, you watch. So, so um, you know, and I think all these things, they really do apply. They apply anywhere in the world you go, in mm. any environment. And I'm just, that was such mm. a confirmation to me because I, I hear people say things like, oh, that DMM stuff it only works in rural cultures. Yeah, and like, Mike, a, just for a listener who doesn't know you, you, you're living in Hong Kong, right? But now I'm living in Hong Kong. You're traveling to Germany <laughs> And you're applying some of the same principles. And I know what you're doing in Hong Kong now. Yeah. yeah. And this is really important because that's the thing in the West. It won't work here. It won't work. And that's what people say. It's not going to work here. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I just, I I wanted to see, I hadn't had a chance to try to apply it in a Western scenario. Mm. Uh, But, um, you know, I feel I felt like okay, these principles I learned from places like Matthew ten, it's the Bible. You know, it's not this is not DMM is not you know a passing fad. I mean, this is the the, the idea of a person of peace who who you bless their house and they're going to invite you in mm. and, and feed you. It, you know, it's just eat whatever they said before. That's the Bible, right? Yeah. yeah. And no matter what context you're in, whether it's tribal, rural. Uh, you know, third world, post-Christian, everybody has to eat. And eating usually is something that, that, that unfolds around social lines and social connections and networks yeah. in any culture. Yeah. And, uh, and so, I, so when they invited us and they wanted to cook for us, I said, okay, mom, watch this. are probably our person of peace. Hmm. And she goes, Peter, Peter, he's an atheist. Don't, don't offend him. Don't bring this stuff up. But, you know, we just felt like, again, and this is another, uh, I, I wasn't going in there to evangelize. I wasn't going in there to try to convert him. But I was also going to, I was going to develop a friendship with him. He was reaching out saying, I want to be friends with you. Come and eat with me. Yeah. And I was going to just be myself and be, we're going to be naturally supernatural. I'm not going to sit here and preach to you, but we're going to be naturally supernatural. Some people call it, let's be conspicuously spiritual. Let them know we're spiritual people. And so, hey, it's my daughter's birthday party. So we have 20 people there. Some of them are his friends. Some of them are ours, you know, adults and kids. And we just do our normal, you know, Christian things or do, do our normal birthday things. And I thought, well, okay, this is a normal thing. I have my daughter here. She's turning three. This is a momentous time. Mm. You know, two years of COVID, wasn't able to have a nice big birthday party. Mm. I want to pray for my daughter on her birthday. Mm. So I said, Ken, listen, I know this is kind of strange, but it's okay if we pray for my daughter now. And everybody's like, well, okay. So everybody, can you just, I know this is odd, but would you just lift your hand as a sign of openness? It's nothing magical about it. This is a sign of openness. Lift your hand here. Like, like you, and those of you who are close, you can put your hand on my daughter's shoulder. And let's pray for her. And we all prayed together and they all said, amen. 
you know, it was just one of those times where this is not supposed to be happening, you know, in, in post-Christian atheist Germany, <laughs> agnostic atheist Germany, right? Yeah. But it's certainly, you could see some raised eyebrows, you could see, <laughs> but we did but, you know, we didn't spend our whole time, you know, we, we were just connecting, we talked about whatever they wanted to talk about, their favorite beer, the economy, you know, we, and we just spent the day together. And um, after that, I said, now, now you watch mom, we're going to keep praying for them, and they're going to invite us again, or they're going to come over. And that's what happened. A few days later, the, the eldest son of the family, who's, who's my age, he's got two daughters who are, who are teenagers. He came over and said, oh, I wanted to help your mom in her garden. <laughs> so he came over and he brought some tools. He knew my mom needed a little work. He, she, she needed like a little garden shed finished up. So he came over to work in my mom's garden shed. So I just said, well, I know he's here. God brought him over. So I went out to sit with him. And again, you know, the, this whole thing, the conversational quadrants, it works. You know, so we begin our conversation in the, in the casual. Let's talk about the economy. Talk about what he wants to talk about. It. Mm. You know, it's a good thing. I know some. I know some Christians who like say, "Well, when I became a Christian, I just read my Bible. I don't, I don't watch the news anymore. I don't keep up with modern culture." Like, hmm. I would really highly recommend against that. If you don't know anything that's happening in the in, in the modern culture, how are you going to know how hmm. to have a conversation, a casual conversation with people? Hmm. You know, so so that's a, that's a touch point. You know, we talked about things that were going on in the news, American politics. German Paul. I watched German. I was watching German news too, so we could have an interesting conversation. And then at some point, it moves to the meaningful, talking about his kids and his dreams for his kids. Now, this is when it moves into the spiritual quadrant. The thing about doing this in a rural, unreached culture versus doing this in a post-Christian culture mm. is there. It's like playing. American football. I know you have your version of Australian football, but I don't. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> but American football, at least, every time you begin the play, you have your you have your offensive lineup who's trying to get the ball across the goal. Okay, yeah. I'm really going to simplify this. So there's different ways you can do. It. You can throw it. You can kick it. You can you can run it. But before you get there, they're going to have their defensive lineup, mm. and these guys are going to be they're going to viciously vigorously try to shut your play down right away. That's their goal. If they can shut your play down before it begins, they're in a better position. Because yeah. you'll have a limited amount of, of, you know, you have a limited amount of plays, we call them in America, before the ball turns back over to them and you lose control again. Yeah. So this is sort of what happens now. You're starting to talk to somebody in a post-Christian culture, and they're curious, uh, but they've, they've been highly prejudiced against biblical Christianity. Yeah, we're going to allow you a certain amount of plays. If you can get past their defensive, they'll let you run with the ball. They'll they'll be astonished, but they're going to try vigorously to oppose you uh, in that in those first few moments. And you got to get past those plays. Uh, you got to get you got to pass that defense. And this is the now this is something I learned from my one of my original pastors who I learned a lot from when I was in America. He's a vineyard guy. He's actually. He's the president of the vineyard now, <laughs> but uh, I don't have his, I don't I don't have his permission to say this right. Now. I haven't talked to him in a while, so I don't, I won't name him. But you can Google him; you can see who he is. Okay, and he taught me something. He was a master evangelist in university context, and he mm-hmm. had a he had a great ability and gift to reach and connect with postmodern post Christian people on the on, in university settings. Mm-hmm. 
And he would actually do something that we don't do in DMM that, that uh, he'd stand up and preach in the, in the, in the, in the quadrangle on the university. <laughs> and uh, he learned by doing that. He, he, of course, faced every kind of objection you can get. Hmm. But he said, after a while, you realize you're always getting the same objections. Yeah. And if you're ready to address, at least address them. Yeah. If you're ready to at least address them, you can get past a person's defenses. Hmm. And they'll let you run with the ball. And, and, and you, you know, it becomes very soon, it becomes like talking to anybody, whether they're rural or third world or on the mission field or in, in, in your post-Christian Western context. So um, now he's told me there were seven. I don't know if I can repeat all of them, but I'll, I'll tell you a couple. Uh, one thing that will come up is basically the argument is God is so mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the God of the Bible is so mean. What about all these people? You know, what about the genocides that happened in uh, when, when the, uh, the Israelites, you know, perpetrated on the, uh, the Canaanites, you know, yeah. God is so mean. If you can get past that, in, in some way or another, they're going to say that God is so mean. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, so often people will, and my, my standard, uh, my standard uh, response to that usually is, is they'll say, well, I can't believe in that God is so mean. And uh, I'll say to them, well, what do you mean God is so mean? And they said, well, and they'll start telling you. And usually they might bring up a few biblical examples that, we call them the problem passages, right? It's good to know problem passages, but they usually go much farther than problem passages. They'll usually they'll start there, and then they'll they'll start saying. And if you, if you learn how to listen well, you know, you just listen to them when I'm talking. You know, not only that, but uh, you know, why is he letting all the children die? All these children are dying, and, and God's not doing anything about it. Yeah. And, and and then and then it'll usually get from there. It'll start with the problem passages, and then I'll go to. The, something general about how God is mean to the world, but usually there's something in their life, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's my uncle. My uncle was the nicest guy you can imagine. And he developed, you know, uh, colon cancer and he died this painful death yeah. and his family was praying for him and nothing happened. And God is so mean. And it's, now you're getting to the real brass tacks. Mm-hmm. You're getting to the real root. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you have an, if you have a, a, a sensitive, answer for that and a kind answer you can usually get past that that objection so normally when they say something like that i'll be like well my goodness so that that does sound like a mean god i, I i'm not surprised you don't believe in that mean god mm-hmm. i don't believe that mean god either that's what it means to be an atheist i'm right there with you i'm i'm, I'm an atheist towards that god too yeah. the god who kills yeah. children and kills your uncle I don't, I don't like the guy who killed your uncle either mm-hmm. <laughs> and then i'll be able to kind of move on now, now let me tell you about the God of the Bible and the God that's been revealed in Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, and, right. and, and you can kind of move on to that and move on to the, you know, there are other reasons that people die. You know, it's, it's not, not always that God was going after them. Right. Another one that usually comes up is, um, uh, uh sexuality mm. in the postmodern, almost always in the postmodern culture, sexuality will come up in some way. You know, why does God care if I'm an, if, I, if I'm an atheist, I mean, if, I, if I'm a lesbian or a crossdresser, or transsexual, or homosexual—that's yeah. that's, that's going to come up very, very frequently. And again, if you listen closely, it'll, it'll often start in the general and come down to the personal. Hmm. You know, that person is saying it because they are of that persuasion, or they're saying it because um, you know they know somebody who's really kind. They know a really nice homosexual. 
How can God like not love him? Again, I say, wow, you, you, you think that God doesn't love homosexuals? Well, I'm right there with you. I, I don't believe in the God who doesn't love homosexuals. You know, my Jesus, the God revealed that Jesus Christ loves homosexuals. Mm-hmm. And often this, this objection will often revolve around, um, identity. Mm. So, and I say, you know, I, I think, you know, in the Bible, we learn that Jesus was a complete man. He was everything that a man should be. Mm. And he was a man. So he, he, that was his gender identity. He identified as, as male. Mm. But, you know, Jesus never had a wife. He never had a sexual union mm. with anybody. Mm. But yet he was a complete man who fulfilled his life's destiny and changed the world. And you see, biblically, your identity is not is not uh, who you are at your at your deepest core gut root level Sorry is not that. identical with your sexuality. Hmm. Yeah. So Sorry. God can love somebody even if they have uh, even if they identify with a sexuality that that we would say biblically is is not you know in the right place. You know. So just because I disagree with you about sexuality doesn't mean I can't love you at your core level doesn't mean I can't know you at your core level. Doesn't mean God cannot love you and identify and, and, and at your core root level. Hmm. So that that's often an area of, of um, identity. So let's see. There's there's God. The God is mean. <laughs> there's the, uh, the usually the sexuality that comes up. Uh, usually then also will come up. Um, uh, the Bible is unreliable. Yeah, and this is where it, it does pay dividends to do a little bit of research get yourself a book like you know the the classic one is josh mcdowell's uh evidence of the vans verdict yeah and just familiarize familiarize yourself with a few of the very common examples that will come up it's always the same examples that you know the bible is written by translators who you know who translated so many times just lost its original meaning you know this will almost always come up and this came up when i was talking to my new friend in germany you know, well, the Bible is not reliable anyways. Nobody has the original copies, and it's been translated so many times and, and corrupted. And they've heard this argument, and it's just part of the post-Christian uh, yeah. armory. Mm. And so it, it, it pays dividends to say, well, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? You know, uh, what do you mean when the Bible is uncorrupted? When do you think, when do you, what, what do you, how, how early do you think of the manuscripts that we have? You know, or what's the earliest copy of the Bible that we have? You know, depending where you are, they might say, oh, it's only we've only been reading this Bible for a couple hundred years, you know, right. it's been changed so many times. And, and then you can, you know, you, you can just say, well, you know, actually we have manuscripts that go all the way back to the generation that knew Jesus. We have our earliest manuscripts go yeah. back to the very generation who knew Jesus. Yeah. Well, why don't we have the whole Bible just preserved perfectly? Well, you know, actually I'm, I feel more confidence that because that we have, many different manuscripts and manuscript evidence because they all agree with each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, overwhelmingly 99% uh, of the Bible is uh, of all these different thousands of manuscripts, they agree with each other. Yeah. 99.9%. And it doesn't touch on any of the major doctrines. Most of the variants are things like spelling mm-hmm. and punctuation, Yeah, you know, or, or, or substituting a conjunction and for, but those kind of things. Yeah. And it doesn't change the meaning at all. In fact, it's a miraculous book. When you look at it, we, you don't, you know, we read stories, we read things like the Analects of, um, I don't know, uh, the History of the Gallic War by Julius Caesar. 
We read things like that as a authoritative firsthand I first uh firsthand eyewitness account of what happened when the Romans fought in the Gallics, whatever that the French the Porto French, French or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah we read that as 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 a first hand account, but you know we, we only have three ancient copies of that. Yeah. You know, or it might be, it might even be less. Like I'm, I need to refresh myself with some of this. But a lot of these ancient books that we read as history, we 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 have one copy, one one copy of a copy. Yeah. With the Bible, we have thousands upon thousands of copies of copies yes. that all agree with each other. Yes, and across a wide geographical spread of identical copies, um, really old documents. Agree. Really, really old documents. Yeah. Mm. And, and so this is where you, you know, if you love your culture, if you, mm. stepping outside of that for a second, mm. if you love the culture you're in and it's a post-Christian culture, you don't have to go to university and get a degree in apologetics, but read a book, <laughs> go to a website. You know, yeah. another, another really good one uh, is um, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. Now I'm not saying any one of these are essential, but there's a bunch of these that kind of, Mm. Uh, the reason you can even go back, you know, famous book of mere Christianity. A lot of these books will address these questions. Yes, and they it, that's interesting too. When you think about, it, we think post Christianity is such a new thing. Well, C.S. Lewis wrote that book more than fifty years ago, I believe. That's right. And the arguments haven't changed very much. That's right. You know, yeah. the the Bible is not reliable. Um, God is mean. What about my sexuality? Mm. Uh, often there'll be something around church history. You know, mm. this is a common one. Well, religion is bad. Christian, therefore, Christianity is bad because, you know, religion has started more wars than anything else yeah. in, in human history. Yeah. And a, a good counter to that is say, really, I'm not sure that you're. That sounds like a really fuzzy statistic you're giving me that religion has started more wars. I said, well, let's look back at the 20th century. The 20th century was a century of atheism. More people died in the Soviet Union, you know, during, uh, uh, during under a communistic, atheistic, non-religious regime, more people were either killed by their own country or died due to warfare, you know, not over religion at all. In fact, in post-modern era, it was the bloodiest, this was the bloodiest era we've ever had, in, at least in Europe. In history. You no. Know, mm-hmm. And it was not about religion at all. It was it was actually they were staunch atheists. That's right. If that's true, if it's true that I shouldn't be a Christian because Christianity started wars, you shouldn't be an atheist. <laughs> because atheists has killed far more people in the last century. Yeah. You know? So you Especially can kind of turn that in one. Mao Zedong and you put in um um uh Mao Zedong, Stalin, uh, um, Stalin uh, hey Cambodia. Yeah. Pol Pot. Yeah. I mean, he, people aren't even sure to this day whether he killed 60% or 80% of his own population. I see. Terrible. All of it in the name of atheism. And if you, you know, you can still, I've been there. If you, you can still go to, you can go to the killing fields and see the stupa made out of human skulls and hear the stories. You can go to the prison camp where, you know, it, it, the worst kind of torture. Mm. So to say that the religious mind, you know, and they'll often they'll bring up the Inquisition, they'll bring up the Catholic Inquisition, and mm. as if to say that, you know, the religious mind is the inventor of, of torture and, and, uh, and cruelty. Mm. So, well, there's far more cruelty that was done in the, in the name of atheism, systematic cruelty, systematic mm. extermination of your own people. Mm. And, and really, if you, if you look at any modern historian, 
and I'm talking even atheist historians who look at things like the um, either the Crusades, yeah. you know, they, they might bring up the Crusades, they might bring up the Inquisition, they might bring up those yeah. things, but any sense of historian who reads those things nowadays or, or discusses those things will not attribute that to religion. Yeah. As the sole cause, as if somehow there's a one to one. If you believe in God, you'll behave this way. It's usually political, other political and power uh, type things that were at play. Yeah. And you know, even even uh, you know, the, the 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 Crusades was really about how do you in a feudal culture where the firstborn son inherits all the wealth, what do you do with the second and thirdborn son? So he doesn't kill the firstborn son. Well, you send him off to fight the Crusade. You yeah. know, <laughs> so you know these kinds of things. Now, what you don't want to do is get into historical argument with people. You don't want to, I don't want to waste my time getting into a debating spirit. Yeah. But to have some of these things on hand, so yeah. when they bring them up, you have a ready answer. Yeah. Basically, you to counter, anticipate, if you're in a post-Christian environment, anticipate that they're going to have a defensive line. Mm. They're going to have, in American football, we have, you know, your linemen. And they're going to have different linemen. You know, one of them's named God is mean. One of them's named, what about sexuality? One of them is named the Bible is unreliable. One of them is named, what about the bloody Christian history? Mm. Anticipate something and just have something to say about it that, that you're not complete, completely caught flat-footed. And, and then you can agree with them. Man, that's terrible that the, 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 the crusades happen. That's absolutely awful. It's really bad for me as a Christian mm. that this part of, that, that's even associated with us in our history. Yeah. You can agree with them. I wish that had never happened. It, it's terrible. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't attribute that to God. Yeah. And if anything, it's a testimony to the fact that all of humankind has a yearning for God deep in their heart, yeah. is made in the image of God. The fact that they can be, that, that they feel like people have to bundle, yeah. they have to bundle their political agendas along with the idea of God yeah. to kind of mislead the masses. Yeah, you know, is, is that a testimony to the fact that the belief in God leads to violence, or is it a testimony to the fact that all people are hungry for God and and manipulative, you know, malign uh, megalomaniacs have often used that to to mislead people? You know, right. so those are some of the basic ones. I mean, there, there's others that will often come up, but um, you know, there's a great book by uh, Alpha has a really good book. They've got a book called Questions of Life. Mm. And it's really good. I really recommend it. It's, there's two of them. One is, and I'm not sure which one is the better one, but it's one is called Questions of Life. One is called Searching Issues, Tough Questions, Straight Answers. Yeah. I really do recommend getting that book. You know, yeah. And it's, you know, of course, we're, hey, we're, we're DMM people. We, we believe in Bible discovery, right? Right. Yeah, I'm not saying that you're going to make any disciples by going to them in this book. But what I am saying is you can do what Peter said. When Peter said, be ready to, to give an answer. Be in ready to make an apology. Yeah, yeah. In season and out of season. And if you love your postmodern culture that you're working in, whether it's in Western Europe, Australia, America, wherever, if you love your postmodern, post-Christian uh, uh, culture, be aware that this, these initial defenses that they give, this defensive line they line up against you, it's almost always the same. Everybody's kind of saying, heard the same arguments. Yeah. And if you can at least have a, a little bit of be somewhat versed in it to talk about it for 15 seconds, you know, or, or five, five minutes, mm-hmm. it can often get you past that place of defensiveness 
So, you know, so, some of the questions why we've been talking about here, I'm looking at the uh, on, on Amazon right now. Why does God allow suffering? You know, why is God so mean? Mm. Do, oh, this is another one. All religions need to lead to God. Mm. You hear this a lot. Well, I believe I believe in God, but I believe all religions lead to God. Mm. And that's really good to have, and know something about the uniqueness of Christ and the claims of Christ to be able to say something about that. What about the New Age? Now, often New Age stuff will come up. Uh, more and more, new age we know is not really new age; it's the old age, right? And it's just, it's just Babylon repackaged. It's just yeah. idolatry repackaged, and um, that will often come up. And uh, the sex issue will often come up. Um, uh, the suffering, uh, homosexuality, uh, uh, questions about the Trinity. How can you know God and Father and Holy Spirit? How can they all be God? You know, but it's it's a handful of issues. It's something you could take a weekend and read a few books about and feel a lot more confident. So let's go back to real life, okay? So we've kind of discussed about a lot of this. So here I am sitting with my friend uh, who's come over now in Germany, and he's working on my in, he's working on my mother's garden hut as a favor to her. That was the excuse to come over, right? But yeah. really, I know he came because he wanted to talk to me. And the way, you know, it wasn't even very elegant. We were, we're, we're talking about politics. We're talking about economics. And all of a sudden he goes, yeah, I left the church because uh, nobody really has the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, and they're all full of hypocrites. You, you know, <laughs> so we were able to, and I, you know, I, 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 I can say, yeah, you know, it's really sad. There are a lot of hypocrites in church, mm-hmm. you know, but there are a lot of hypocrites. Everywhere. Are there any hypocrites at your work? Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't stop you from going to work, does it, you know? Were there any hypocrites in your school? There's hypocrites everywhere. Christian uh, church is not for, and you know, particularly in DMM, we're not trying to get people to go to church. But basically, what they're saying is they're saying, "I don't want to be. I'm afraid to be associated with that Christian group because I've heard there's some bad people there. I've heard there's some hypocrites there." Okay, well, you know, um, uh, well, there are hypocrites everywhere, right? And uh, and then be able to talk a little bit about the early texts. And well, actually, we have more extent manuscripts uh, of the New Testament story than any other ancient book. Mm. And and we don't doubt those as pervasively as people tend to doubt the Bible. Have you ever read the story of Jesus? You know? mm. So we were able to quickly kind of move past those things. He was already, and if, and if it's your person of peace, if you're putting this, you know, I don't, um, I think there's a way to put this, this these encounters in the context and the flow of the larger plan and method the Holy Spirit is employing to build churches and, and reach churches in the mission field today. Mm. You know, we're, we're commanded to pray for the harvest yeah, and pray for workers in the harvest. Then we're commanded to go out and bless every house. Then we're told that, you know, when you, when you find a, a person at peace, stay with them. They're going to get invited into a household. And they're going to feed you, eat whatever they set before you. So when you put this in this context, you know, I'm not going out. I'm not just walking around the street talking to every stranger trying to have religious uh, debates with them. I know some people specialize in that. That's a very specialized calling, you know, and uh, not everybody's called to do that or able to do that. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're trying to employ a DMM methodology and you are um, – uh, looking for that person of peace, you're praying for them, you're looking for the invitation to the household, you, you, you're you likely in the post-Christian setting at some point to reach those these objections. There's the barriers. And there's, That's right. Yep. 
but if you're ready for them, you're going to have favor with this person. You avoid, avoid the debate spirit. Mm-hmm. Avoid the spirit of debate. There's going to be some favor there. And just show, just give them an answer. Just give them an answer. Don't just ignore their objections if they don't matter. Because they are. They're, they're, um, those objections are, are, it's a little stronghold in their mind that does need to be torn down. Yeah. But you'll find, I think, if you, if you kind of take some of the, if you take a leaf out of the apologetics playbook and you combine it with your DMM playbook, it can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. And so, so make a long story short, you know, we were only there for a month. Uh, but we had a good conversation and kept praying for them. And I told my mom, and this is great for my mom to get discipled because she was so excited. First of all, that we'd be able to pray at that birthday party and then excited that they, 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 they still wanted to see us after that. Yeah. In fact, of all the relatives and friends who were there to see in Germany, and we had some other encounters, which I can't go into really cool encounters with, uh, with people and other people of peace that we met, but this one really stands out. They, they couldn't stop themselves from wanting to spend time with us. Mm-hmm. They kept inviting us. Oh, what about this weekend? Are you free? Can you come over for, for a barbecue? What about next weekend? You want to go with us to this festival? And so we just spent a lot of time, at least, you know, several, once or tw- twice a week, we were spending time with us on our vacation. And, um, the next time we were there, uh, we got into a spiritual conversation and I said, well, that's really interesting. And I said, would you like to look at a scripture? that uh, addresses that. And he was like, sure, why not? This is, this is a uh, Karsten again, the, <laughs> the, uh, son, the son of the man who invited us over. Sure. Why not? And I can't remember. It was something about blessing, uh, you know, cause, because I often will go to some passage about blessing when I'm first working with a person of peace. <laughs> and something God had put on my heart that day. I can't remember which one. So we read, I said, let's read it out loud. So you see what I'm doing? I'm yeah. starting to have a DBS with him. <laughs> so I, I find often that with my persons of peace in, in, in the postmodern culture, because they are, have so many defensive, defensive, uh, mechanisms set in, you will, it's hard often to say to them, listen, why don't you get your friends and set up a meeting and let's have a Bible study at your house? Mm-hmm. You, you won't just jump into that. Mm-hmm. But if you can kind of, thread the needle here and get around these defenses mm-hmm. you'll find yourself in a spiritual conversation and you'll find that there's an appropriate scripture that deals with it instead of telling them what it means why don't you just kind of have a a mini proto dbs that's what we did so we look it up and i said let's read it out loud and he goes wait a minute wait a minute and he calls his wife there and a few friends so we, now we are sitting this is a german we're sitting in the, in the garden having a beer <laughs> and we're now having our first PBS. They don't know that's what it is, but that's what we're doing. So we read the scripture together and I tell them, what do you think that means? And we start having a discussion about it. And uh, I find that when I have those first proto DBSs with these people, I'm happy if I can get 80% of the DBS format in there. I might not get every last question in there, but the important thing is we're reading the scripture together it's a discovery learning. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to them. And um, I think this time I suggested, I suggested the, the obedience step. <laughs> so I, I, I know it's always best to have them to do the obedience step, but this is our first one, you know? Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, I, it's really on my heart, Karsten. I, we really love you. We've gotten to know you in this trip, and we, we would like to spend more time with you. Uh, 
we want to pray and bless your family. And my, I had my three-year-old daughter, which, or this is my four-year-old at the time. She's five now. Uh, Lily, can Lily and I pray for you and bless you? He goes, well, can you bless my wife too? I said, sure. So his wife came. And when she found out what we were doing, she called their teenage daughters who were somewhere else, not there, mm-hmm. and said, drop whatever you're doing, come here, come here. Mike and Lily are going to pray for us and give us a blessing. <laughs> so we have the whole family there, and we just go over them. And this was just what the Holy Spirit put in my heart for that day. Uh, one by one, we pray for each of them, and, and just we, we got to know them. We got to know their concerns, you know, whether there were job concerns, that the girls were concerned about school things. and we, So we knew them, and we prayed for those things, and we blessed them. Yeah. And it was just a powerful, moving thing. And um, what a testimony to my mother, as she's growing as a disciple, to see that these atheists who she was afraid of sharing the gospel with are actually very, very hungry for the presence of God. Wow. And, and what an exciting thing to be able to see. For me, because I, I learned about, started learning about demon principles here in, in Hong Kong, which yeah. is its own animal. You know, we got... I wouldn't call us post-Christian necessarily. I call us non-Christian, you know, yeah. 90%, 90% of people go to, don't go to a Christian church of any kind, you know, 99%, 95% of people here in Hong Kong. But there in Germany, they see that these principles still work. Yeah. And, you know, our trip was cut short. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking about making a follow-up trip in uh, December mm-hmm. and trying to have more DBSs. They, they wanted to, up until the day we left, they wanted us to, they called us and said, are you guys, you're flying tomorrow? Yeah. Can you come have breakfast with us in the morning before you fly? Uh, <laughs> no, we don't have time. So to see, for my mother to see that when the Lord is working, you can take this atheist couple and you can share Jesus with them. Not only will they hear you, but they won't be offended. Mm. Not only will they not be offended, but they're going to ask for more. Mm. <laughs> you know, you've got a person of peace. They want more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And straight so, away, it went into the family, went to the group. You know. It went to the group. They got the family involved. They, they, they were, you know, they, and, and you could tell they weren't ashamed of it. They wanted to know their friends know about it. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, I, you know, if, if you went to a Christian university like I did, we all knew that guy who apologetics was his thing. That's all he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that's a special calling. I'm not saying we all become that guy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those guys are not very effective evangelists or disciple yeah. makers. Yeah. But we can take a page out of their book and recognize if we're going to love our post-Christian culture, there are things that are going to come up over and over again. They've all heard the same arguments. They're not very creative. The devil's not very creative. Mm-hmm. He found a few things that work and he stuck with it. He's not the God of creativity. He's not our God. He, he's, he's, he's found, he's got a few old hacking arguments. And there's been a lot of books written, but you should read one of them. You don't have to read all of them. Read one of them. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, in practice with your spouse, you know, have your practice with a partner, have your spouse pretend to be an atheist and say, well, science disproves the Bible. Mm. What about evolution? And just have that, have that, you know, talk through that with your, with your wife or your, your partner or your, your DMM partner, your teammates. Talk through that. Don't, don't make it, don't make it the focus of your DMM experience, but it can be a helpful thing to get past you. If you can get past the defensive, like in football, if you can get past those initial, you know, white knuckling, you know, terrifying three seconds, 
You just brought up the name of, you just said the name of Jesus in front of a post-Christian, atheist, non-believer, an, an, an intelligent, educated person in the modern in, a, in the modern culture. You just said, I love Jesus in front of them. You've got those first few seconds to get past those defenses. And if you can get past it, it's blue skies. you got an open field. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can score that touchdown. You can, you can, it's no different. Once you get past it, it's the same things that'll come up after that. It's those, it's those things that are really important that we address in our scripturalists. Who is man? Why is there sin in the world? Uh, what is the consequence of sin? What is God's answer for the problem of sin? Mm-hmm. How do we react to that? Those things that we, 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 we go through when we go through our scripturalists. You just got to get past those first, you know, terrifying moments. <laughs> yeah. Mike, just as we finish the podcast, I'm just wondering, there's going to be a lot of people uh, resonating, but also people saying, oh, I'd like to be able to be like Mike. I'd like to talk like Mike. <laughs> and uh, I know your answer is going to be, it's not, not about me, but why don't you just pray for the people who are listening to this? Oh, just, uh, yeah. Pray for, Pray for encouragement and boldness, and um, we'll finish there. Okay. Okay, that's exciting. Yeah, let's do that. Ah, Jesus. Oh, we just feel your joy, even at the thought of attempting to make a motion towards getting into your harvest. We feel the joy of the Father. <clears throat> We want to be obedient sons. I'm thinking about that parable where the the father comes to the two sons and the first son says, yes, I'll go work in the vineyard and doesn't go. The second one says, no, I'm not going to go. But later on, he decides to obey. And the father was so pleased with that kind of obedience. And I just imagine there's a lot of people out there in, in postmodern context. They've, they've kind of dismissed They've kind of given up. They'd rather just give to missions in a foreign mission field or, 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 or maybe try to take a short-term mission trip or something, but they've really kind of given up on their relatives, the people they grew up with, the people they went to high school with, university, the people who actually they have the most longstanding relational connections with. They've given up on them because of these post-Christian, post-modern arguments and issues. So I'm not praying that you make them bold. I'm not even praying that you make them expert apologists or, you know, scholars of these problem issues. I'm praying that you would renew their love for these people who they've known the longest, these relatives, these family members, the atheistic brother, uh, the agnostic mother, the, the embittered grandfather who will know, doesn't ever want to go to church again, the, uh, the childhood friend who went off and got into drugs and is into the new age now, these different people who they've just kind of given up on because they think that the defenses are impenetrable or they're intimidated. And I pray you would just renew their love for you and for these people. And as you renew their love, their faith would be renewed. And just like um, 
just like the Israelites who trembled in front of Goliath, <clears throat> but really Goliath's strength was kind of an illusion. But little David was so full of the love of God that he could see the weakness. He could see the way past the defenses. And he could send that rock hurling toward that gap in that giant's armor. As you fill their hearts with love for the people they might have given up on who are closest to them, that you would give them the faith and the insight, the spirit of wisdom to see the gaps in the armor. But of course, our goal is not to behead a giant. Our goal is to win people to Christ and they can see that there is a way to just restore their faith, that there is a way to reach these friends and these close associates, God. So just bless right now, we pray, and we release vision, we release love, we release faith, and we release eyes to see the harvest. Give, give us eyes again to see the harvest that is closest to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.